is a minister's appreciation month and uh, Dave is our music minister here so we wanted to uh, give him a gift and thank him for his service and everything that he does thank you appreciate it turn it on you're on yet oh there you go king's kids if you're in second grade on down you can go to junior church <laughs> said every grandma so we have a little little kid service plan back there i lost my scripture reader for this morning so we have cold turkey do we have anybody who wants to come up here and read first kings 10 verses out of first kings for me Oh, come on, Cole, don't throw me like that. I thought he was jumping up to run. The, you're running the wrong way. 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. It's Solomon, his prayer. Anybody want to volunteer for that? LaDonna, welcome back. Spur of the moment. You didn't have all week to like worry about it. If there's anybody else like that, and you want to be a scripture reader, but you don't want me to tell you till like the morning of, let me know. I, now, Ron, I just do that with you because I know what you need. It's helpful. <laughs> it's helpful that way. So turning your Bibles to the book of 1 Kings, it is okay to look at the table of contents. That is not, yeah, chapter 3, 1 Kings 3. In my Bible, that's page like 354. What about you? 342. 342. So it's going to be in the 300s, whatever Bible you've got. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Then you have Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel, First and second Kings. It takes a while to get there in your Bible reading, too. I think a lot of people die right around there. That's rough. <laughs> We're going to be reading from First Kings chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. So follow along with LaDonna. <clears throat> Solomon made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David till he had finished building his own house in the house of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. The people were sacrificing at the high places, however, because no house had yet been built for the name of the Lord. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father, only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give you. Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. You have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne to this day. And now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in, and your servant is in the midst of your people, whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this, govern this your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. So we're in 1 Kings, chapter 3, and we are speeding through the storyline of the Bible to understand, we're trying to understand what does it take to be wise or smart 
are knowledgeable. We started in Genesis. We saw Adam and Eve, the blueprint for what God wants. Last week, we looked at King David. And in David, we saw somebody who shows us a proper desire for God's presence. Write that down. If you're taking notes, it's in your bulletin. There are some blanks. Last week, David shows us, we keep reading his story, and he shows us what a proper desire for God's presence looks like. And he's not perfect. Far from perfect. But he keeps coming back to God, even when he does wrong. And he does a lot of wrong. This guy is the king, so you can just imagine what he tried to get away with. Murder, adultery. But God did not let him get away with it. He had to repent. He wept. And he changed. If you read the story of David, this is not about David, just background. He was also a terrible dad. His kids were fighting. His kids were doing things sexually they shouldn't have been doing. And David was just kind of... It seemed like he was hands-off parenting. Well, one of the problems with that was he had many wives and many kids. And so he probably just kind of lost track. He was busy living his own life. That's, that's a dangerous way to live. Nevertheless, when confronted with sin, when confronted with wrongdoing, David would turn his heart back to God. This is what makes David a, a special person, a man after God's own heart, is he keeps coming back to God. The same thing's going to be true for you. You're not going to walk the line of Christian faith perfectly, but to have the heart that God appreciates is a heart that says, I'm sorry, you are right, and I want to change. If, if you've lied, then you have to go back and tell the truth. If you've cheated and stolen, then you have to go back and return things and make reparations. You don't just say you're sorry, you live like you're sorry. David does that. David is dead now. His son Solomon is the king. Would you like to be a king? Good night. In some ways, I'm like, well, yeah, if it's just kind of, you know, a figurehead monarch, but actually like ruling and reigning and organizing things, all the pressure that comes with that, no, thank you. It's hard enough with just a little family of four. I couldn't imagine a nation of four million, right? Like, what in the world? This guy just became the king. I want you to notice something before we get too deep into the notes. God comes to him. He didn't go looking for God. He is doing some godly things, some religious things. But he doesn't come before God and say, God, I need this. It's God coming to him and saying, what do you need? This is a huge picture of who God is. This story says more about God than about Solomon. But the reason why this is an important story in our track right now is because we're trying to get to the books of wisdom, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, and the book of Job. By studying the life of Solomon, who is attributed three of those books, by understanding this guy's life, we're going to better understand the Proverbs. By understanding this guy's life, we're going to really understand the book of Song of Songs, 
or canticles. It has a lot of different names. The Song of Solomon. We're going to understand that better. By understanding this guy's life, we're also going to understand the book of Ecclesiastes better. So we need, to, we need to see what's happening in his life. And this is his life. This dude, if anybody in the Bible qualifies as bipolar, is this dude. And uh, the contrast between David and Solomon is noticeable. That's also why he's in the Bible. We have a picture here. David is going to be somebody who searches after God with all of his heart, and Solomon is going to be somebody who follows after God with all of his mind. And that's not a bad thing. But he's missing something. There's, there can be a disconnect between what you say you believe and how you actually live out what you say you love. And so his life is not only going to give us context for other books in the Bible, it's going to challenge you to make sure you're not like him at least not like the dark side of him. My goal in summarizing these key parts is to help us unlock more truth in Proverbs than we usually get. So here we go. Write this down. Solomon, he is both the ideal human of Genesis 1 and 2. He has all the characteristics of being the perfect dude, the perfect king. He should have learned from David. He's got the, the promised land. He's got the promises of Abraham in his hands. He, after this, this episode with God, he's got peace from all of his enemies. He's going to be able to, he's going to have a temple where they can worship God perfectly. When this guy dedicates a temple to God, God shows up. Like fire from heaven falls down on the temple so everybody knows, holy smokes, it worked. You ever put something together for Christmas and you're like, this ain't never going to work. And you plug it in, you're like, yeah. Or your dad's outside putting the Christmas lights on. What? Right? And, and you're a little surprised that it works. I think everybody was shocked when God showed up at the finish of this temple. God was showing these people, I'm with you if you'll follow me. Problem, they're not going to follow him long or forever, and he's going to depart. Same is true for us. There are going to be periods in our life when God is present and it's unmistakable and we are convicted of sin and we are exalting Jesus as Lord and then we go to school. And then we're tempted to lie, cheat, steal, gossip, slander. And then we go to work and we're going to do half-hearted and we're going to clock in a little early for a little extra time or clock out a little later, forget to clock out for lunch. We're going to steal here and steal there and we're going we're gonna to do some personal work on the computer and we're going to take home some pens and paper clips because we need those for back to school. We're gonna, we have temptations all around us to not follow God in our regular lives. So does Solomon, except his are on a different level because this guy doesn't have access to pens and paper clips. This guy has access to absolutely anything he wants. Unlimited women. Unlimited, unrestrained alcohol. Unlimited, unrestrained entertainment. Unlimited, unrestrained building projects. Unlimited, unrestrained chariots. <laughs> 
army, power. He has everything. Hmm, what's it going to look like? So I'm going to read through this passage again, and we're going to unpack it and fill in some blanks. So if you have your Bible, I'm in 1 Kings chapter 3 again, verse 1. Solomon made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. And I got one word for you. Sketchy. What? Sketchy? What are you doing, man? Oh, Solomon. Why would a king want to make an alliance with another king? Help me out here. Power? Money? What? Peace. Well, what might happen if you don't have peace? War. There's a little, there's, and that's all about greed, because if you're in war and you don't have peace, you're not getting what you want. You just want to be able to do whatever you want, and I have to engage in war, engage in diplomacy. So this is the easy way out, and it's wrong. God has told these people many times over, stop going back to Egypt for anything. You forget those people had you as slaves for 400 years. Will you please drop Egypt already? I'm the king. You know, I think it could be a good idea. I'm going to go back to Egypt, find me a wife. Make friends with the king. Sketchy. Verse number two. The people were sacrificing at high places. However, because there was no house yet built for the name of the Lord. That's sketchy too. You're not supposed to be making sacrifices at all these random high places. They had a tent with the Ark of the Covenant They have the priesthood. They have the sons of Aaron. They have the Levites. You're supposed to sacrifice to God the way God says to sacrifice. Sketchy. But I'm going to give you a little bit of a break here because they don't don't have a temple yet. Maybe that's his motivation for wanting to build a temple, right? Yeah, I know they're doing wrong, but how do I stop all these millions of people from... I don't have a temple yet where they can actually come to. We don't have it. It's not big enough to handle all these people. We've grown like, okay, I'm going to give him a break there. Verse 3, Solomon loved the Lord. Finally. (laughs) That's the bipolar. I'm going to go marry the princess of Egypt. Well, what are you doing? You're not supposed to do that. But he loves the Lord. Oh, okay. Walking in the statutes of David, his father, only... He also sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. Here, that's a little sketchy as well. Why are you doing this, man? It's good to hear that he loves the Lord. But you see, there are some little things along the way that are not good. <clears throat> this is the picture we are getting of Solomon. He is a mix of good and bad. He is both the ideal human. He has all this potential. He's going to make some good decisions. He says right here he loves the Lord, but he's also the grasping human of Genesis 3. He's going to see some things and take them. He's going to take some things out of context and out of order and make them his own because he can, and that is not good. Verse 5. 
At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give you. Genie and a bottle has appeared. Now, he doesn't ask for um, unlimited wishes, right? That'd be like your first, you've, you've, been, you've been taught that, right? If you, get, if you get a genie, you ask for more wishes, that's your first step. He doesn't do that. But any time God offers you something, you need to understand it's a test. It's a test. It's an opportunity to do right, to do good. It's not a temptation. God, God doesn't tempt people. The Bible says we are tempted when we are led astray by our own selfish desires. So God is setting this before him, a silver platter. Oh, this is about to be illustrated many times over in two weeks and a day. What happens when the trick-or-treaters come to your house and you set your bowl out on the front with a little sign that says, take all you want? Or even better, you, better, might, you might as well say take all you want because if you just put take one and you just leave the bowl there on your porch, mm-mm-mm. Adult confessions. How many of you, adults, just took however much you wanted? Are you, were you that kid? Were you that kid? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you, you guys are lying to me. Did you just not trick-or-treat or what? Yeah, thank you. You can tell by all the cavities I've got. That was me too. Like, yeah, I've had some root canals from selfishness. Eat it all and don't brush your teeth and go to bed. And Yeah, that was me. I was unsupervised at Halloween. <laughs> That's bad news. Here's Solomon. Solomon is even knocking, and God opens the door. Solomon doesn't even say trick or treat, and God says, what do you want? God just opened up the riches of everything to Solomon. Uh, I'm already the king. Start thinking through, what, what does he need? For the last decade, his dad has even been piling up gold, piling up lumber to build the temple. Solomon doesn't need anything. I think one of the reasons why he doesn't ask for all those other things that most of us would be attracted to, he's already got it. He doesn't ask for more. He has a moment of clarity. A moment of clarity. Here's the test. And he takes it as an opportunity. Verse 6 Solomon responds first with some good stuff. He says, oh, God, you've shown great and steadfast love to my dad <laughs> because you gave him me. <laughs> I love that. Oh, you've shown such steadfast love to my dad because you gave him a son to rule upon the throne. You gave him me. You've kept for him this great and steadfast love, given him a son to sit on the throne. Only very special people talk about themselves in third person like that. This is a special dude. You've given him a son to sit on the throne. Uh, but he did a good thing. In verse, verse 6, it was a good idea. He mentioned David's heart. That, that never escaped. That never escaped Solomon's 
perception. David may not have been a great dad, but all of his kids knew that he wept before the Lord. He rejoiced before the Lord. He danced before the Lord. He went to battle for the Lord. He did everything he did. David tried to do it for the Lord. He just left a few things out, like raising his kids for the Lord. Yeah, that's a huge blind spot, and it caused a lot of family drama. The Bible does not cover that up at all. One of the reasons why I am confident that this Bible is the Word of God, because even with our heroes in the faith, it shows all their warts and sins and failings. And it only shows God is perfect. Same with David. And here we are with Solomon. We're starting to paint a picture and see his warts too. Verse 7, he says, And now, O Lord my God. It's personal. He transitioned from, you're David's God, verse 7, but now you are my God. That's a personal decision. Solomon is, is embracing God as his God. This is, this is really important. He's transitioning from just being a son of David to now he wants to be a son of God too. He's making that, he's making God his own. Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father, but I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. Well, in verse 7, write this down. He's only a child in understanding and wisdom. This is a grown man. He's about 30 years old. That's kind of, yeah. He's married. So he's not a child in the way we would think of a child. But by saying he is a child, he's expressing that I don't know how to rule and lead these people. My dad's been doing it a long time, and I'm new here. He acknowledged, this is a little bit of humility and humbleness. This is good. This is the, yes, all right, he might, he might shape up after all. This is a good thing. In verse 8, your servant is in the midst of your, your people. He calls all these people God's people, whom you have chosen, a, pe a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. That word multitude it's, it is a hyperlink back to what God said he would do for Abraham. In verse 8, this is a throwback to the promises to Abraham. Solomon knows his family history. Good boy. He understands, David, my dad, did not build this kingdom. We are the descendants of Abraham. God has said he is on our side for hundreds of years. This is the God of my fathers. And he's not just the God of my fathers. Now we are, oh Lord, my God. He's making this personal. This is the king. Remember, this is significant because he's the king. He doesn't need anybody. So for him to reach out, God is reaching out to him and he's reaching back. That's, that's the way all of humanity is supposed to operate. That's the ideal human. Anytime God comes to you, you reach out for him. That's the way it's supposed to be. So he, he, he epitomizes the way we're supposed to live, but then he fails over and over again. We need to see that. Verse 9, here's the request. What do you want? And he says in verse 9, Give your servant an understanding mind to govern your people. Here's the key phrase that I may be able to discern between good and bad 
We've talked about that word evil before. It's not a morally charged word. This is the same exact phrase from from Genesis, the tree of the knowledge of good and bad. This is the test of all tests. All of us, God puts things in front of us that are good. Are we going to let God give them to us? Or are we like Adam and Eve? and Cain, and David, and every other person who has sinned, are we going to reach out and grasp and take it, not waiting for God to give it? Solomon says, open-handed, I need you to give me wisdom. I picture, I picture a toddler reaching up to his dad right here. I picture Solomon, arms up, Dad, I cannot rule these people. Be my God. Here's what I need. I need your wisdom in order to understand good from bad so I can choose good. I want to understand good and bad. Write this down. He wants understanding of good and bad, and he passes the test. How do I know he passed the test? Because verse 10 says, It pleased the Lord that Solomon asked this. He may not be perfect, but he passes this test. He may not pass all the other tests, but here, early on in his rule and his reign, we have to understand that his understanding and his wisdom is coming from God, he's not learned it. He's not been hanging out with prophets. He's not been hanging out with his dad. He, he didn't get to even be around uh, the great prophet Samuel. Probably didn't spend any time with Nathan. Probably not spending any time with Zadok, the priest. That guy's busy doing priestly stuff. He's not spending time learning these things. The book of Proverbs, the Song of Songs, Ecclesiastes. We need, to, under, we need to, to understand the context of those books. You need to understand God supernaturally gives him understanding of what is good and bad. Not learned it. Not learned it. We stopped in verse 10, but I want to go on, verse 11. And God said to Solomon, Because you asked this, and you've not asked for long life, you've not asked for riches, and you've not even asked for power or the life of your enemies. But you asked for yourself understanding to understand what is right. Verse 12, Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you didn't ask for, riches and honor, so that no other king will compare with you all your days. And if you will walk in my ways, listen, God says to Solomon, if you will walk in my ways, that means there's going to be a choice here. Even with this wisdom, he can choose to not walk in God's ways. So God is, putting, God is bringing in some conditions here. I'm going to give you all wisdom. That's not automatically going to mean you're going to walk in my ways. 
But if you will walk in my, if you will make, if you, see, this is not a one-time decision. This decision to choose God is not a one-time decision. It never is and never has been. It never will be for you. You don't make one choice for God and then the rest of your life is good. He made a good choice for God, but that's not the end of it. God comes to him and says, if you will walk in my ways, in other words, if you will continue to make this good decision and choose me over everything else, if day by day you will walk after me, if day after day you will walk with me and follow me, that's God speaking to him. If you'll make this the pattern of your everyday life, keeping my statutes and commandments, oh, by the way, like your dad did, be like your dad. Here's the bonus. Then I will lengthen your days. So the bonus is, if you will live like David, ought I skip one there? God is pleased and gives more than requested. Yeah, write that down first. So God is really pleased. He gives him more than he requested. And on top of that, God fast forwards and does a bonus too. Not only do you get all these things and wisdom, you're going to be a you're going to be a king that is going to be famous. But there's a choice here, and you can become infamous as well. If you will live like David, there's the next one. If you will live like David, it's not about extending his life as much as it is extending his reign. Because the longer he lives, the more he reigns. And the reign and the rule of a son of David is the big promise God made to King David. You remember that. David, you're going to have a son who is going to reign eternally. Whoa. God to Solomon, if you'll have the heart of David, you will reign eternally. Follow after me and you will have a really long kingdom. Remember the ideal. He's, he's lifted up to us in scripture. It's like so close. He's like so close. He passes a test. He fails a test. He passes a test. He fails a test. He loves the Lord. And then he loves women. Oh, that's next week. <laughs> that's next week. What I want you to see is how patient God is. I want you to see how patient God is. This guy is a hot mess. <laughs> he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna do some great things for God, and he's going to do some terrible things for the kingdom and for his own soul. And the, things he's, the habits he's about to develop are going to tear him away from loving God. That is tragic. But he's in the Bible to teach us about who God is. If God can do great things through a rascal like Solomon, there's hope for you. He can do good things through you too. If God comes to and meets with Solomon without Solomon even asking, you better believe he might come knocking on your door too. And when God calls you, be ready to choose him. Be ready to choose him. Don't choose anything else. You're going to be tempted. Oh, God, just help me get through school. Help me with this job. Help me with 
who I'm going to marry. Help me with where I'm going to go to college. Help me with this and help me with this and help me with this. Those are the prayers of selfish people if those are your only prayers. Should we pray for those things? Yes. We're supposed to bring all of our cares to the Lord. But do we only pray for those things? No way. We need to ask God to show up in our lives. We need to tell God we want Him. We need I love the Lord to be the tagline of your life. How sweet would that be? If your family puts that on your tombstone. Sherry Bell loved the Lord. Do we need to put anything else? Right? What a beautiful thought. That's our goal. That's our aim. And if you sin, tell God he was right and you were wrong and come back. Because what we really need to be are David and Solomon all the time. We need both. Because we are both of these people. Let me speed through the rest of what happens in this episode here. Because 1 Kings chapter 3. And your notes there. After this wonderful encounter with God, we have some examples of wisdom. Solomon shows wisdom over people, over situations, and over the nation. He knows how to be the king. And everybody knows that he knows. <laughs> and everybody comes to him. He becomes the man. He's not just the son of David anymore. He starts making a name for himself. People understand God has endowed this guy to be the king. And they, they follow him. The rest of chapter 4, like the end of chapter 4, it's almost like, it's happening. It's happening. We have peace. We have prosperity. It's happening. All the nations are coming to Solomon. All, like, did you hear what I just said? All the nations are coming to Solomon. It's happening. God is drawing all the nations, a multitude. The blessings of Abraham are now spreading to all the nations. It's happening. He's the anointed one. He's the Messiah. He's the promised one. So close. Could have been. But in chapter 7 and 8, he builds his house. He builds God's house. They call it the temple. Chapter 9 starts telling us how he built it. And there's this really clear statement in chapter 9, verse 15. It says, there were no Israelite slaves. <laughs> well, if we go back to chapter 5, verse 13, that's because they didn't call them slaves. They called them forced laborers. We're splitting hairs here. How did he build this kingdom? It's the different word than slaves. I'll give you that. There are no slaves. These people who were forced to labor, they were forced to work for an entire month away from their family. They got paid, and then they would get two months off. And they had to work another month. And I say had. They were drafted there was no choice here. He was the king, and he had a lot of building projects going on, and he forced them to work. They were for, there were so many forced people. Look, look at the next blank. He had to appoint taskmasters to make them work. 
and not good. These are not middle management. <laughs> These are not supervisors. <clears throat> These are task masters. And to put the whole thing together, in chapter 9, verse 19, one of the things they are building are store cities. Write that down. So, Mary's princess of Egypt starts building store cities for all of his stuff. He employs slaves from other countries. I shouldn't say employs. <laughs> he captures slaves from other countries. He forces his own people to build these cities. And because they're probably bucking up against the system, these are long hours. These are hard days. I want to go home. I, there are no labor unions. He's the king. He has taskmasters over all of them. This is the dark side of his rich kingdom. All the same words from Exodus about when Pharaoh did these things to his people. It's, the, it's inverted. The very same thing. Have we not learned anything? Do you know what God did to Egypt because they were building store cities, slaves, forced labor, and taskmasters? What did God do to the nation of Egypt? Ground them up for being unrighteous. Newsflash. Solomon is headed for disaster if he keeps this up. As soon as Solomon dies, you know what the people rise up and say? Give us a day off. They say, Solomon was too hard on us. That was, that was too much. Dude was smart. Dude was clever. Knew how to organize. Knew how to motivate, even if he had to force you to. Knew how to make money. Do we see? Are you beginning to see the picture of Solomon that I am? And these things are all, you know, all these truths in his life are going to bleed into the book of Proverbs. When he starts talking about laziness and he starts talking about management, he starts talking about money, he starts talking about anything, we need to see this backstory of his experience. The good side of it, the ideals, but also the junk that's in his trunk. Bodies. He's, he's causing a lot of damage to this kingdom. And it is not going to be eternal. He has a lot of wisdom, but he falls short. Next blank. Wisdom, knowledge, and cleverness. That's Solomon. Are not better than a heart for God. So write down a heart for God. Heart for God is greater than having a bunch of wisdom, having a bunch of knowledge, or being extremely clever. Some of the world's most clever people work in finance. And they know how to turn a dollar into ten, and ten into a thousand, and a thousand into a million. And, and there, are, there are tried and true methods for doing all of those things. And you can get really rich, or really famous, or really powerful. But if you don't have a heart for God, you missed it. You've missed all of life. 
This is a lesson we need to learn because the very things that he has given are the same things that we lust for, that we covet. Solomon had everything you want and more. Did it make him happy? No. Did all these things give Solomon contentment and peace? No. Did knowing answers to every riddle and every question, knowing how to build anything, did that give him purpose and meaning in life? No. Because you cannot find purpose and meaning in life unless you have God. This is a big, big lesson we need to learn. Last line on your outline. Last blank. There is a deeper wisdom in God's presence rather than away from God's presence. You can have wisdom without God. Solomon becomes a case study in that. You can become really good at your job and be a jerk. I make a lot of money and trample a lot of people under your feet on the ladder of success. You can break through the glass ceiling, make all the glass rain down on the people below you. <laughs> careful, careful. So what do we need to be looking for when we read the Bible, when we go to church, when we sing spiritual songs? We need to be a people who are looking for God's presence, not just answers for life. Lock that in. We need to be a people who learn to be satisfied with God even if God is all we've got. We need to be a people who are pursuing God's presence not just looking for the next best, bigger, better thing. Because all your things are going to end up in the landfill in the dump oh, unless you're very sophisticated and it gets recycled okay I'll give you that but for the most part everything we have is going bye bye but not God so if you have God you have all that you need learn that from Solomon and let's, let's pursue a deeper wisdom stand with me as we delve into a little more of Solomon's life next week we're going to see his fatal flaws and we're still looking for God to show up God is so patient with this guy yeah God is patient with you too this guy did some terrible things you've done some terrible things this guy did some great things you're going to have the chance to do some great things all of your life is spiritually bipolar doing good and doing bad and how how can I do more good longer that's the good question Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Cry out for Jesus to be your Lord, your Savior, your Master, and stop putting yourself in charge of your own life. You're the worst manager of your life. Let Jesus be in charge. Bow your heads, close your eyes, let's pray. God, we come to you today, and we acknowledge that we need Jesus. And we don't even know what that is going to look like or feel like. God, we pray for our young people who are here right now, not knowing what career you want them to go into, not knowing 
why they even exist, not knowing where they should go for the right relationships and the right jobs. And God, we pray that you would show them, show them that if they will trust you, you will meet their needs and you will open up doors and you will make it smooth. For the parents that are here that are questioning everything they've ever learned and all the decisions they've ever made, show them that you can knock on their hearts and open up a new door, a new season of life where they appreciate you and where they trust you even in the middle of their mess. And for our senior saints, God, we pray that you would continue to show them that there is a lot of purpose and a lot of meaning in their life yet to be fulfilled. Give them boldness to share their faith, to talk about Jesus, and to invest in spiritual things. We bring all these requests to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Stay standing for one last song. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been now forever will be. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness. Great.
benediction. The benediction for today is from Psalm 73, it's verses 25 through 28. Whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you will perish. You have destroyed all those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. Amen. You are dismissed. <laughs>